From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. I do know what I've heard directly from President Petro in Colombia. And he said that this is not his problem, which is kind of a half truth. It is not his problem because these migrants do not stay in Colombia. It's not his problem because he did not create the conditions that led them to migrate in the first place. But it is his problem because there's a lot of people who are being killed or being raped or dying in his country. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Miami law's comparative law expert Pablo Rueda Saiz slogs through the factors causing the humanitarian disaster unfolding in the Darien Gap, a treacherous sliver of jungle connecting Colombia and Panama, through which hundreds of thousands of migrants pass in the march to the United States. Let's go to the executive producer, Catherine Skip, with the interview. Morning, Pablo. Good morning, Catherine. Hey, thanks for coming in. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Um, so let's dig right in. Why has the Darien Gap become the go-to land route from the United States, from just several hundred people going through a few years ago to 360,000 already this year, leapfrogging over last year's 250,000? The reality is we don't know. Um, And it's a fantastic question because we don't know why people are coming from China, Syria, Afghanistan, different parts of the world through the Darien Gap specifically. Um, Most of the academics that work on immigration tend to think about the whys, the, the reasons for migration in terms of the demand. Right. So they think about what um, the reasons why people migrate in very kind of structural terms, whether it is, you know, they're searching for the American dream or they lack opportunities because of the structural issues in their own countries. But they never think about the supply side. This is they never think, okay, why are they coming through this route and not a different one? So, so basically, um, the one of the new lines of research that I'm focusing on is what is happening here. Why are people coming from different parts of the world through the Darien Gap? Because what for me was a mystery is that you have people from Haiti, for example, that go south to then go north. People from China. Why don't they go through the Pacific? Uh, People from Syria, Afghanistan, they all go through the same route. So I think we need to be looking at the supply side. Is there some kind of inducement for them to come through this route? And what is that inducement? Are we talking about international organizations, transnational criminal organizations that that are providing the kinds of services that these people want and need to migrate? Um, And what kinds of resources do those criminal organizations have? So that's, I think, part of the question, part of the, you know, the issues that people should be thinking about. And you can do it comparatively. Think about the Mediterranean, for example. Why are people going through the same 
Mediterranean routes. They know it's a death trap the same, in the same way that they know the Daring Gap is a death trap, but they still go through that route. Mm-hmm. So the United States, Panama and Colombia signed a pact in April, an agreement that would stop the flow. Um, is it having any impact? No, none at all. And, and uh, the, part of the reason is that I don't know the specifics of the agreement, but I do know what I've heard directly from President Petro in Colombia. And he said that this is not his problem. Yeah, which is kind of a half truth. It is not his problem because it's not, they, these migrants do not stay in Colombia. Um, it's not his problem because he did not create the conditions that led them to migrate in the first place. But it is his problem because there's a lot of people who are being killed or being raped were dying in his country. So I think it is to a great extent his problem. And he has to make sure that whatever situations are going on in the Darien Gap are not going to affect these migrants. Hmm. So as you said, hundreds of migrants have died or gone missing, making this passage through a 60-mile stretch crossing the 10,000-square-mile jungle. Hundreds more have been, as you said, robbed, sexually assaulted, and raped by criminal gangs who operate in the area. Why hasn't the danger, the dangerousness of this journey made it less attractive? Okay, so so <laughs> here we have to, if you look at the media coverage, of the Darien Gap. You can see that there are two very different narratives. There is, on the one hand, the narrative used by Al Jazeera, uh, Deutsche Welle, that have done extensive coverage of what is going on in the Darien Gap, and very good coverage. But the narrative that they show is that of the raping, rapes, that of you know children left dead by their parents inside tents, uh, because they simply die out of um, you know lack of food, uh, lack of water, you name it, illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also so there's that narrative, the horrific things that happen. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you have the narrative of the New York Times, which is more recent, um, regarding how. This trip, specifically through the Daring Gap, has become a very well-organized form of travel in which you have NGOs that, of course, you know, guide people through their travels for a price, of course. Um, but it apparently seems to be a very well-organized situation in which these NGOs have uh, doctors in the way and if a child dies crossing a river and needs sewing of their face, there is a doctor that sews the little child and provides anesthetics and provides everything that the child needs. There is a nurse that goes with the migrants and provides all the services. So that's the other kind of narrative. There, you know, the director of the NGO gives pep talks to the migrants every night and ha- has a play for, for them to stay. So, so there are these two different narratives. Now, one can wonder, are they happening at the same time? It's likely that they are 
different kinds of migrants coming to different, you know, organizations. Might it also happen that whatever, you know, armed forces were in that part of the country realize that it's not in their best interest to, you know, rape, kill, and uh, mug the migrants, and thus they have allowed for other, I guess you could call it private entrepreneurs to provide these kinds of services to the migrants, it's also likely that this is the case. So the New York Star Times article shows how there's a lot of money coming in to the Darien Gap. And that money is used to not only improve the passage of the migrants, but also to improve the situation of the people who live in this part of Colombia. It seems like the surrounding governments are not enforcing the agreement at all. They're profiting from it. It's like their they cottage are. industry. It's it's villages or whatever that have no real means of financial support. This is like a gold mine to them. So exactly. we're not seeing that kind of everybody's happy. So so those are the two narratives. It's it's hard to tell what is the reality of it. And I think we need to do ethnographic research there on site and look at what is going on there instead of relying on different and you know potentially contradictory and problematic statements of different um, news outlets. Mm -hmm. So it kind of sounds like a stalemate. What's the solution? I mean, well, how do you move huge numbers of migrants from wherever they arrive to wherever they want to go? The first thing that we need is is actually knowledge of what the situation is on the ground. Um, we need to know what is happening. Who is providing those services? Um, why are people traveling south than to go north? Why are people traveling through the Daring Gap? from China, from Afghanistan, from Syria, from India, from Haiti, from Cuba. Why are they not going directly? Uh, that's the first thing that we need to know. Is there someone or some organization that is inducing them to take this route? And what are the incentives of the people who are creating these inducements? Without that, we can't possibly start thinking about a solution. Okay. On our next chat, we'll talk about the evacuations of the Gaza, maybe. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for your expertise and your insights, as always. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. Thanks for having me. All right. See you around. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for The Explainer and a whole new season of Explaining. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at theexplainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Doctor of Juridical Science, an advanced research degree program designed for aspiring legal academics, members of the judiciary, and public policymakers. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu.